Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and we're going to do some house cleaning, kick off the episode. First of all, haven't advertised this in a while, but we do have a Patreon. If y'all are fans of what we do, I know that maybe competitive magic is not the most exciting thing right now. But we are. We're the most exciting thing going in all of podcasting. There you go. Good salesman right there. So I, I understand that if if you're only like lightly tuned into magic or whatever, maybe you don't feel the need to spend money on content creation, all that stuff. I get it. But just as a reminder, you know, patreon.com slash arena decklist if you do like what we do. And we we appreciate all the support, anything that we can get. So True. Uh, thank you, everyone who has been with us for well Ever. over 300 episodes at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's the thing that stands out the most is just people who have supported us for literally ever at this point and like can never do enough to thank those people. Yep, absolutely. And the other thing is I've been kind of slacking on this, but uh, I'm going to be at this event called the Legacy Pit Open number two. This is taking place in Richmond, which is the city that I currently live in uh, on October 1st and 2nd. And not only is it a very large legacy event, but also there's uh, a modern 5K on Sunday too. And it is also been deemed a destination event by DreamHack. So there are some uh, regional championship invites up for grabs. I don't know exactly how many. I would assume that I think those events are two, but I could be wrong. I believe you're correct. Uh, that's That's not what's exciting here though. I mean, like a real... Honest to God, legacy tournament. That is that's big news and not something that happens very often. And we know one of the most passionate of all magic communities is the legacy community. Uh, one that I have identified with pretty strongly at various points in my magic journey. Legacy was my favorite format for a very long time. Same. Sort of bore some of the same brunt as modern did with like the modern horizon stuff and commander decks and all that. Didn't make it through unfazed, but I still find time to appreciate it every now and then. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I can carve out some room in my schedule to attend this event. I have kind of a busy few months coming up, a lot of travel, a lot of casting gigs, but I, it would be really cool to play some Legacy again. I I think I would be having fun with Legacy right now, but that's only because the landscape is so different than it was even like two years ago. When you say landscape, do you mean just the available card pool or the way the format is engaged with or both? Uh, kind of all of it, but just yeah. looking at, you know, a kind of a bird's eye view of the format and what it looks like where Yorian is a thing that we didn't get to explore like pre-COVID when there are a lot of tournaments happening and stuff. So that is a thing that people are doing a lot more now for a lot of different reasons. It's just like these these blue control decks have things like Uro and the new like Minsk and Boo Planeswalker and yeah. uh, you see like a lot of four color pile nonsense uh, the blue red Delver decks have gone through like a bunch of different builds and everything uh, kind of because their threats keep getting banned because uh, it doesn't really matter what cards you play it's just like the Correct. deck is really good yep. uh, there's the uh, eight cast deck that you and I kind of built when Thought Monitor was released, maybe not on like week one, but week two. That deck has like gotten tuned a lot and then got Kappa Cannon here and stuff like that. So hell of a card. Hell of a card yeah. to add to the mix. Yeah. Um so overall, 
the format is is pretty interesting. There's a lot of stuff that I would like to try and play with, but I'm actually not going to play in the tournament. I decided that, you know, these these folks are coming to my town and they're putting on a big event. I live literally like seven minutes from the convention center. I'm just on the other side of the river. So I was like, how can I help support this event? And I just decided that I would try and donate my time as best as possible. So I'm going to have like some some meet and greet stuff, maybe some spell slinging stuff, mostly just trying to figure that out and trying to figure out how I can provide the most value to the event. And I think that the way that I do that is actually not by playing in the tournament, you know, not being trapped in a chair for 40 or 50 minutes per round. Sure. That makes sense to me and be cool. Good chance for people to go down say hi, who haven't seen you in a while, uh, kind of get back I won't say in the trend. I, f- I consider the trenches like tournament play, but get get back in connection with the community and understand what they've been going through, especially the legacy community, which is like I said, so isolated, uh, has such a hard time getting meaningful events to play. So I'm, I'm really excited for them. I'm glad they get something meaningful. And I also just love the fact that like, should I want to play? I think I could feel very comfortable just getting my old trusty blue red Delver deck together and, you know, knowing my play patterns and, and dazing and force of willing stuff to oblivion and attacking. It's obviously like the format changes, things get more complicated. There's new things you need to know about, but it's hard to go wrong with Delver. And I'm always so comfortable just defaulting to that deck in these times. Yeah. And if, I mean, if they play a card that looks kind of new or has a weird border or whatever, daze that shit. Don't yeah, even worry about it. Just daze it, whatever. Yeah. Just move on. It's, yeah. you know, it's got three sides. And seven paragraphs and maybe a scroll bar on it, right? Like, Yeah, I don't have time for that. I'm countering it and we're moving on. Yeah. And then maybe after the game, they can tell you about what their deck is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Right. Exactly how I want to play Magic. Anyway, that event is cool. I'm excited for that. And I think that was it, man. I think just got to plug the Patreon, talk about the Legacy Pit thing. And I'm, I'm probably going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks until it happens. TBH. Cool. Because I want cool. that event to be as successful as possible. So Richmond, Virginia, October 1st. Yeah, uh, really excited to see some good legacy representation. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to look at my schedule. Things are tough, but it would be cool if I could get down there. Let's see if we can make it happen. In the meantime, I think we need to check in on the non-legacy formats. Sure. Are we going to talk about uh, my ascension to the MPL and my huge qualification? <laughs> or do we, uh, do we skip that? It's not that not big enough. No, it's, I mean, I thought we would just talk about newsworthy things. Um, Ooh, got him. Ouch. ouch, what I mean. Well, okay, I'm, so I'm thrilled to have ascended to the highest level of magic competition. And uh, now that I'm a pro magic player, things are going to be very different around here. That's that's what I thought. <laughs> Is it's it? Like, I'm going to make a change from the inside. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> yeah, right now there are arena. Well, okay. So last weekend there were some LCQs for an arena qualifier. And those were best of one sealed. There are some best of three LCQs on Friday, tomorrow. Well, I guess that's when this uh, thing is going to go up, huh? But yeah, if you want to play some sealed, sealed is not bad. The thing, the thing I don't like about this, and I am curious to hear your thoughts, given that you're now spending a lot more time in game design, is I don't really like that Dominaria United as a whole is kind of incentivizing you to do the same stuff where there's the domain stuff and then there's the kicker stuff, which is also multicolored. I would have much rather had the kicker stuff be like solidifying like CC stuff. You know what I mean? 
Yes, I understand what you're saying. The format is a little soupy is the best way to describe it. Yes. You kind, of, you kind of just mush everything together. That's okay. I don't I don't think that's like a fatal flaw. I think the games have been like pretty fun. I like that the rares feel a little bit toned down, which is good. Although that being said, like my sealed deck, it was literally just like impulses and two bomb rares and those rares won me every game. So I don't know if I'm really the best person to make this argument, but as I saw other decks and like what they were accomplishing, other people seem to have, you know, more toned down rares. I just used impulse to go find uh, Jaya and the sweeper and won very easily off the back of those cards every single time. So maybe I, I cheated the system a little bit and did get the bomb rares, but yeah, you, you want more identity out of a format like Dominaria, which is like kind of synonymous with a very good limited space and a very classic feel. And that's, if you want to talk about like broader complaints about magic, is that everything feels very soupy. Like nothing feels very Dominaria about this set to me. And it doesn't really feel like the first time we went to Dominaria, it, it did feel special. It felt like we were returning to some stuff we hadn't seen in a very long time. I just don't get that vibe this time. So I, I think that's missing a little bit for me. But on the whole, I did enjoy the games quite a bit. That's uh, kind winning. of a point, though, with the Phyrexian business happening. I think. Yeah, I, I understand. But just like, is that what you want? Like, is that actually what you want to use this plane for? And I guess like some some people like are very into the Phyrexian stuff. And maybe to them, it is cool to just see that occur, that kind of mushing of these two types for me when you do these things i actually want the callback i want things to feel a little bit old school but i recognize i'm in the minority for that so look i've just accepted that like if a product is really really just on point good for me it's probably a very bad product for them to make like it just shouldn't be their goal whatsoever and that's fine um so i i try not to like put on my critic hat because I just don't think they're making cards for me anymore and they probably shouldn't be. So, yeah, I, I basically agree with that too. Um, I, I don't think I, it shouldn't be samey as the like Teferi hero of Dominaria, Dominaria, you know, mm-hmm. and they realize that, which is why they take the story here. Right. And why they need to change things. And then they give you some little nuggets, like the various characters and domain and stuff like that. So like it feels somewhat, but different, and I think that is kind of the point, whether or not, you know, that it actually knocks the ball out of the park on all the metrics or whatever. It's not really up to me to decide, you know? But yep. Yeah, for me, it swings a little bit too hard towards different, that's all. But yeah, other people are going to feel differently. Yeah, I, I have enjoyed mostly the games and certainly the, the deck building for Sealed because you have a ton of options because there is a lot of mana fixing and... Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of playable cards and just a lot of options in general, which is cool. But the the downside to me is the the longevity of the format, which I think kind of falls off pretty quick, considering that a lot of the ascent incentives align. There isn't, I mean, there are like sideways weirdo things that you can do for sure, but for the most part, it is like, oh, we're playing like a lot of colors and like doing some domain stuff for the most part. Agree. I also think like the sideways stuff is often like poor play pattern stuff. I'm not (laughs) sure like the defender package is like where I'd want my sideways stuff to be again, my preference fine, fine. If you feel differently. And I I think it's fine to do that every once in a while, you know, like just don't, don't make that the sideways thing in every set. Right. Yeah. 
I always look at like the most successful iteration of the sideways thing to me is always spider spawning. Like that's the thing that everyone loved. Everyone still talks about was a very, very successful sideways deck because it was cool and novel, but the play patterns for that were garbage. Absolute garbage. All you did was like gain 30 life off, not of the bone and lock your opponent out of the game. Like you're, you're right. But the size of it, like you eventually did a very big thing. And yes, the game didn't matter from that point. Like you had essentially locked it down, but it scaled in such a way that it felt like you were doing like this progressively bigger and bigger thing where you sort of got to live. It's, it's not exponential, but just like that ever increasing engine dream. And Defender like sort of does that, but doesn't hit for me. Like it doesn't ever reach that satisfying crescendo of the integrated engine. So that's, I don't know. I, I think there's probably like a, a very good implementation of the Defender sideways theme. And I think this is just like a fine implementation of it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the defenders themselves are not super exciting. And then you have like the, the busted white uncommon yep. ways to search for it and recur it. And you know, that, that by itself is just kind of silly where it's like this this one card show. The linchpin card, yep. I mean, like, to be fair, spider spawning is the same thing, right? It's just, at least it's the namesake card and it's not like you sort of slot everything into that engine. I don't know. I, like, there is something different about it. I can't quite put my finger on what it is when it comes to spider spawning. Maybe it's as simple as the flashback, actually. Maybe, maybe that's actually what I'm missing here because once you have flashback you have like the guaranteed access to the thing whereas in this case you're sort of forced to shoehorn your guaranteed access like like you said reanimate your stupid thing from the graveyard and it's not even your namesake card but it's what turns on every other thing in your deck and yeah it, it is all a little bit off i could point out instances where i had you know two memories journeys and a knot of the bone and a bunch of removal and was able to just win that way because I didn't get a spider spawning. But I've also seen the wall decks without the the white card that just went off of Blake Colony or, or whatever. So yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not quite the same thing. I definitely see what you're talking about, where there are definitely comparisons that are valid and everything. But yeah. I think I think it's also hard because that archetype bears so much weight in terms of like being the non soup thing to do. That when you go to Innistrad, there was aggressive decks and there were werewolf stuff, and th there was really so many ways to play that format, and that's what why that format is fondly remembered as much as the spider spawning stuff. Yeah, and it wasn't as face up either, right? Like the spider spawning deck usually took a lot of the cards that were enablers for other things, like mm -hmm. armored scab or whatever, yeah, yeah. and then you just create this brand new archetype from it that isn't super face up. Whereas the defender stuff, it's just like all the cards say defender. This say thing defender. says when a defender ETBs do this, this one yep. says search for a defender, you know, like it's not, you don't have like this incredible moment of discovery really, because you just read the cards and you know, it's there. Truth. So that could be part of it. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I like, I like when <laughs> like you bring up spider spawning and it's just like, I think I was the first person to like get coverage for drafting the spider spawning deck. Okay. I don't have any recollection of that. Was that like at a pro tour or? Uh, this is at Worlds. Okay, that's cool. I've always loved the sideways draft stuff. Uh, I remember like Shadow More Draft, which is one of my all-time favorite draft formats, forcing like uh, Memory Sluice Mill for a while and doing quite well with it, where that was just not a real thing. Hmm. Okay, so this was Deck Tech at Worlds that I think was San Francisco. 
but I don't know what it's labeled because I'm searching for like spider spawning and a bunch of, I don't know, like vampires and Niv Magus Elemental deck techs are coming up. Mm, maybe it's just Innistrad. I don't know. Whatever. It exists. BDM did it. Y'all can probably find it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it right now, but I, I remember because it was like before the finals of my draft or something. And then someone told me that my, my finals opponent was like watching my deck tech. Smart. That's yeah. just good scouting. Well, yeah, sure. But it's, it kind of hammers home the problem of like coverage and being on coverage when all you're doing is like giving your deck list to everyone else. And it does. We, we debated that a lot uh, with, we have, you know, flesh and blood worlds coming up and we just had our pro tour and draft was part of it. And we had capability to like do pick by pick draft coverage and ultimately chose to record it and play it after the draft basically for that reason. So I think it's fine if everything is, is open and like going in, everyone knows but you're always going to have like the featured drafter, right? Where you actually get to see the picks. And like, if, if you have a draft recorder like they used to for pro tours, then maybe that fixes things. But even then the draft recorder always went up like well after the, the coverage of the draft. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just saying, so uh, magic magic did that, right? Where they like recorded someone drafting. And then I think that player would exchange deck lists, but everyone else exchanged deck lists after round one. I think I think you're just like whatever. Everything is open all the time. Uh, that is, if I if I chose to cover the draft, that is how I do. I would do it. I actually like the way we do it for Flesh and Blood, the way I described it. But that has other. There's other things going on there. It's a very different question for Magic. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. Okay, so now I'm at the world's coverage. Anyway, spider spawning uh, limited. Best of three LCQs Friday. I'm going to play in some. I think I'm going to go up to DC and hang out at shows because he is already qualified. Mm-hmm. And either I qualify and we both kind of play together, you know, just like in the room at the same time, or I don't qualify. And then we just chill and like talk about his stuff. Yep. All right. I found it. Like I found it, time. Brian. Video, it video draft tech. Mill yourself with Jerry Thompson. Mm, as it's commonly known, the mill yourself deck. Maybe I'm sending this. I sent it to you on Discord. Well, what am I, am I supposed to watch this right now? Do we stop the podcast while no, I enjoy no, no. this video? I'm, I'm, I'm sending it to you on Discord because I, in case someone asks, people always go to you with questions. Right? Okay. They're like, hey, do you have a link to that deck deck or whatever? Well, now you have it. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm just going to send that uh, to our editors who can put it in the show notes ahead of this. So I don't even have to be asked. We'll, we'll just get out in front of it. All right. Cool. Anyway, I, I like spider spawning. Wall deck doesn't really do it for me. Same. You know what usually does do it for me, though, is Liliana of the Veil and some really kind of like low-ish to the ground, crappy mid-range decks. So you must be having an absolute blast in standard right now. <laughs> Although, you, no. you know what, Jerry? I'll, I'll say... Liliana the Veil actually is quickly phasing out of these deck lists, but that's because everything's become so warped around that card. So you right, don't so even you get the joy of Liliana. You just have to play these mid-range piles. I should have I should have played on week zero. Yes, that was that was the key. All right, so if you go on Goldfish and you look at obviously, you know, things are new and they're still figuring out how to like sort all the deck lists and you know which ones they should group together and stuff. But if you look at the, their top 10 decks from the metagame breakdown, nine of them are black. 
Yep. If you look at the top 15. 14? 12, 12 of them are black. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I've seen a bit of Naya floating around, a uh, couple Azorius decks every now and then, but it, it is a sea of black cards out there, and actually not a lot of Liliana of the Veil anymore because things move so quickly. It's mostly like the mono black decks that are still playing Liliana of the Veil, and like the, the Esper stuff, the black white stuff has already moved by and not even interested in that card anymore, which I get it. I, like if, if the format's all shaped around that, it makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I mean, Esper is also very much like trying to cast Rafine on three, not Liliana. That's, that's yeah. a bit harder. No, that's a problem. Although I'm looking, I'm looking at Esper lists that don't even play Rafine, and they're still like sideboard Lilianas, and that's it. So I, I think the opinion of the card is just incredible. It, it's a really great card, but everyone knows if you don't build your deck around it, you're just going to lose, and the entire metagame is completely warped by it at this point. So Yeah, so you see a lot of things like wedding announcements, and then there's some white mid-range decks that are going a little bit further and playing like the raise the alarm resolute reinforcements i think yep yep getting really wide with those yep. multiple tokens yep stuff like that and then yeah you always have reckoner bank buster basically like in all of these mid-range decks too so like that's a thing that can threaten to kill liliana at any point so uh formats has very quickly warped around it but it doesn't really matter because a lot of the black cards are still very good you still have like the cheapest removal spell tenacious underdog is one of the best two drops and gives you a little staying power going along and everything and yeah evolve sleeper also is very much proving its worth uh you know redoing our list i would have had that card much higher on our, i mean i would have done a lot of things different so it's not even worth talking about one for one although like I, i'm still not off the decisions we made it's just the format is very warped right now mostly by the presence of the card we couldn't cover and i don't i don't know what to do with that fact i, I don't know do you see a way out here like do you see a format that can show a lot of versatility while these cards exist because to me we're kind of back in that era where the mid-range threats were so so good and so sticky that doing anything that was like if you try and go under them you're just going to get shut out by them naturally like things like you know soren and liana and all the other planeswalkers are going to be very good into those setups rafine obviously all these cards just very very good at stopping aggressive opponents so you can't really push under them. And then if you try and go over them, the clocks are just good enough. Like they're good enough to actually close out the game before you can do the type of stuff that we said, or maybe I said, had a potential to shape the format. Things like seven mana spells, eight mana spells. You just don't have that much time. Like things really do end before that point. And we're kind of at a weird state where I, I don't really know which direction you're supposed to push to make inroads on this standard metagame. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you are correct that the normal direction is either you go under or go over and you figure out which one is best suited. And looking at a lot of these deck lists, I think that they are mostly prepared for stuff that can go over them because those cards also happen to be pretty solid in mid-range mirrors. So you see just like a bunch of main deck counter spells, right? Like spell Pierce, Make yep. Disappear, Negate, Disdainful yep. Stroke. And then there's obviously more on the board. Sometimes you see things like Duress. There's just random Graveyard Hate, like Unlicensed Hearst. So... You can't even necessarily mess around with like invoke justice or whatever on all the cards do two things. They, they cover right. like all sides of the problem. You know, they gain life, they do damage, they clear graveyards, they're a threat. So it's really hard to find an angle to approach them. But I think once these deck lists get like a little bit more solidified, those things are going to start dropping out because right now it is just like a soup. 
you know, people don't really know exactly what they're expecting to play against. They will play some amount of counter spells, but then say like the, the mono black version, which is maybe the most simplistic and the most popular, you know, the counter spells aren't necessarily like as good against that list because for the most part, they're pretty low to the ground. You mentioned them being able to play evolved sleeper, but some of the lists have just cut them entirely at this point and are playing like a little bit of a slower, more mid-range version. But sure. I think as things stabilize, it's going to be like, oh, okay, well, I can't really play like main deck negate because I have to be able to handle, you know, like Shieldred and creatures on curve and stuff like that. So things get solidified. I think you start seeing less hedges towards some of the bigger stuff. And then maybe at that point you can do some of the big stuff. And it's about finding the moment where they don't have like the extra cards against aggro or the extra cards against Titan of yeah. industry kind of nonsense. But I, I think for the default week to week, I, I mean, this, this stuff is just going to be good. It, when you see a format where the top 10 winningest decks, nine of them have black in them. And then there was a, a Japanese open tournament last weekend. Also that mm. had 670 players or something. The top eight was all black decks. They were yep. very different, and the deck lists were very good. You know, very innovative, very cool. But they still all had black in them, and I think that that is going to be pretty common. I agree with you. I do want to shout out. Uh, this is from the September twelfth standard challenge on Magic Online. the The sole non black deck in the top eight was an Azorius list, and you want to talk about like ways forward, interesting things you can do kind of a cool approach. It's it's really Azorius Flash. Like the threats are Wandering Emperor, Overcharged Amalgam, uh, Resolute Reinforcements, like you said, and, and Spectral Adversary. And still has like the wedding announcement. So it's doing a really nice job of fueling those Amalgams. So you have this counter magic type of suite. You have the Flash Threats, which are hard for some of these decks to deal with. And then you have Negate, Spell Pierce, Make Disappear, Essence Scatter, all these really broad answers. And this is like... This reminds me of classic mid-range, where if this deck gets its cards to line up well with what your opponents are doing, it's going to be really, really strong. Like, if, if you have the Essence Scatter for their Shieldred, and you have the Negate when their non-creature threat is coming down, and all those things kind of come together, this deck has a lot of potential. I do think it needs to draw a little bit better, but it's a cool angle to take, and a little bit outside the bubble of black mid-range. I mean, it's still pretty mid-rangey, but it looks different than what we expect mid-range decks to look like at this point in time. Yeah, I, <laughs> that was not that long ago, I guess. So there's still time for it to catch on, but it has not really shown up at all since since then. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I, like, I get it. I get why this deck has like some intrinsic flaws. And like I said, it seems like one of those things where if, if you gin it, it could run really hard. Yeah, but it's still it has to choose to draw so many things because the threats are so diverse like you said you have the wrong answer for children and that runs you over and i still don't get that card but i i'm just willing to be wrong now it, like <laughs> like five five years ago i would have wrote an angry article about how this card is so overrated and now i'm just like no nah, i'm probably just an idiot and it, it probably is that good but uh at least in standard like i just don't buy it in pioneer being like the be all end all threat i'm sure it's fine but i don't know it just depends on whether or not you can kill it and looking at a lot of the deck lists i don't know from various tournaments really it's like people are are really skimping on things like infernal grasp and then you look at the japanese open tournament and one of the decks in the top eight had four destroy evils in it cool 
I mean, like, you got to you got to change your deck. That's the way this stuff works. Yeah. That's that's TCGs in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they destroy evils, and that kills Shieldred or uh, wedding announcement in Esper mirrors and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, okay, that's smart. Good job. And that's that's one of the things when if no one's playing like mono red aggro or whatever, you just get to get away with. So yeah. wait for that stuff to come around, right? And everyone to be like, oh, we're just hard targeting these mid range mirrors, and then it's like, all right, Phoenix Trick, you're dead. Yeah, you know that's that's a great point. And and Shieldred is a hell of a week one card. Like it's just the stats are very very large, does a lot of things very quickly, and as things warp around it, it should get worse and hopefully not make me look like an even bigger idiot. But we'll see. I I don't think so. I th- I think everything there's there's going to be an ebb and flow too. I mean, think about how good Liliana is, right? And now we're at a point where people are not playing it because everyone else has adapted, right? The same thing is going to happen with Shieldred. It's not, yep. it is not a be all end all card. It is four mana. It is very easily countered or removed or whatever. It just people have to adapt. I don't know. Some people say it should be banned. So maybe that we just wait for that, right? Why would I we mean, change? Just wait for it to be banned. I take great pride in being able to tell you that I have not seen that take yet, which means that I have curated my Twitter feed. You're right. I have only heard people saying that people are saying that, which maybe it's just totally not real. Maybe nobody's actually saying it. It's a good point. I also haven't seen one person legitimately suggest that. But then you just repeated it here. You just I did, and now I've given validity to it. This is how the internet works. It's a horrible, horrible echo chamber yeah. where things will bounce around, and I am guilty of it. Take me to task. I didn't do. I didn't do full research. I just looked at what other people were saying, and I reported it. I'm part of the problem. Yeah, don't don't do that. You no need promises. you need two sources to confirm, Brian. Uh, well, I I have seen two people say a bunch of people are saying shoulder oh, should be banned. Oh my god! Does that count? Uh, I don't know. Were they sock accounts? No, like like actual humans who who reported this trend of are people. Sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm never sure anymore. <laughs> no. Oh, those those socks are just always in for the long con. All right, uh, that that is standard. I think I, I generally like this sort of format and the stuff that you can do in deck building and everything. So I'm going to stick around. I'm going to okay. I'm going to keep paying attention. Yeah, uh, I'm not off it. I I agree. There there is an arena PTQ. Well, the next one. So I think I think basically just like a month from now. That is standard. Yeah, I can't afford that. It's just, it'll just cost me too many wild cards. Unless you oh have a nice God, budget you're, option. You're actually gainfully employed. Shut up. That's true. I am gainfully employed. Now, I forget that sometimes, honestly. I went so long without it. So good point. Uh, I just sent you another thing on Discord, which are the uh, lists from the Japanese Open Tournament. Yeah, I saw these. I saw these. This was a very cool event and awesome attendance. So almost 700 person standard tournament. So very cool to see. Yeah, I mean, it was on it was on Arena. Um, sure, I, I, I don't care. I mean, I think that's still great. It's get great to get people playing standard in any form. Yeah, but they they had coverage too on Twitch. It's just it's it's really hard to find that stuff unless you're really looking. And yeah. obviously, the the coverage is in Japanese, but it is it's really cool to tune in and just be like, oh, okay, like th- that's you know what Shota's been up to or whatever. <laughs> it's just yeah. just chilling. Uh, it's really disappointing given how much anime I watch that I don't speak Japanese yet. I kind of thought at just some point it would get to me by dispersion. Osmosis. It doesn't work that way. Osmosis. Yeah. It it just, not the case. You know, 10 words and then you start saying things like Nani in real life. Yeah. And and then people scorn you 
uh, deservedly so. And now you don't even get to use your new 10 Japanese words that you've picked up. So, mm. yeah, I, I don't, I don't really have regrets or anything. Right. But I do, I do wish that I had worked harder to learn Japanese at some point. I just always kind of figured like, Oh, it's, it's going to be hard, which is true. It is hard. Yes. Uh, and, and when I was like 18, I, I didn't have access to the internet. So things at that point just seemed completely daunting, but it would be yeah. cool if, if I was, if I was fluent in another language at this point. And I'm, I'm certainly very envious and like also just very happy for people who speak like two or three languages. I think that's incredible. Yeah. I always like start to make headroads like every few years I'll be like, all right, I'm finally doing this. And either Japanese I've tried in the past, I spent some time learning a little tiny bit of Korean and then I'm like, well, maybe I should brush up on my French because I do have like rudimentary French knowledge and I just always fall off so quickly. I fall off of everything so quickly. I need someone to like strap me down in a room and just be like, you're doing this thing for the next year. You're not allowed to leave. Yeah, you, and then you maybe know, I'll be good. You know, you do this with like shows and games. Everything. You, you go, you get, you take like a little dip, you get the rudimentary like base experience and then you just pop off onto something else. Yeah. Reminds me, I got an, a new synthesizer in the mail today, uh, so that's that's currently the thing I'm popping off on is a, a bunch of th- synthesizers. If you were curious, so I have many questions. I I don't want to get deep into it, so I'm just not okay. going to ask them. I, this is Good idea. I think this is maybe a podcast first. This is the first time where I actually just bite my tongue. <laughs> you just let me go. That's probably in everyone's best interest, yeah. honestly. Uh, okay, looking at the the metagame breakdown from the Japanese Open, they do the the like decks and the percentage and like the actual total number of it, right? And the top eight decks in percentage wise were all black decks. Yep, uh, all all mid range. I mean, at least categorized as mid range. Yep. Uh, yeah, Grixis, yes. vampi- Grixis vampires is mid range for sure. It is, yeah. Uh, so the other category is third, but yep. I'm sure there are and some then- black decks in there too. If you get down to mono red aggro, there were t- there were twelve total players, one point seven five percent of the metagame before we see our first aggro deck. So this is like fifty percent, roughly, before you get to Naya invoke justice. It's tough. I mean, like I, I get, I actually think Liliana is a great standard card. I think it's a great card to release back into the standard pool. The problem is, I think black was already the best color. Right. And then you put this awesome card in it, and the, I mean other awesome cards. Apparently, Shieldred belongs in that list so uh uh, just incredible tools for what was probably already the best color in standard uh after rotation yep that is kind of the problem uh other than that talk about pioneer real quick i don't have a ton to say about pioneer because there are cards that add to the format in positive ways where there's like a little bit more diversity and certainly a lot more brewing going on, which I Mm -hmm. obviously love to see. And you're seeing things like random goblin decks. Uh, It's like badass. Hell yeah. But for the most part, it it does kind of feel like the same, you know, there's still mono green and some Rakdos, a little bit of Phoenix, a little bit of control. Phoenix chick. I mean, I think Mono Red got a little bit better probably on the base of Phoenix Chick. Although Mono Red might have just been fine and nobody playing it and they just get like a new thing and now they play it again. So Yeah, you try it. You're like, well. oh, okay, I'll put Obosh in my thing now and see how that goes. And then you play yep. it for a couple days and 5-0 League go like 3-2 in seven other ones. And then you just move on with your life. 
Yeah, I think that we'll probably see something like that happen again. But you're exactly right. Pioneer seems pretty stable with the uh, exception of the random Planeswalker of the week that will show up in the mono green deck. This week it is Teferi who slows the sunset. I can't wait to see who it is next week. It could be anyone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got Nicobolas, you got Teferi. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many options. There's there's not a new, like, ridiculous, you know, seven-drop Planeswalker that has come out recently or anything. But it is funny to me that people were playing straight up, right? Like, we're, we're only going to play our mono green cards, right? And then someone was like, nah, Nickel Bolas. And I was like, oh, okay, well, now just the gloves are off, right? We get to do yeah, whatever the hell we want. Now let's look for Planeswalkers that untap lands. Oh, look, we found one. You know, it's like, it's like why why did Teferi not show up before now? It was because Nickel Bolas had to show up first and open the door for someone to actually put in nonsense in, into their deck. Yeah, I would like to start the mono green challenge, which is where you have to top eight a challenge <laughs> with the weirdest planeswalker possible. Like just one that makes almost no sense. Oh, you only need one copy. That's all I ask. Uh, and if you have a screenshot where you actually use that very odd planeswalker, uh, bonus points. What do those points amount to? Nothing. 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 I mean, I could I could like give you channel points or something. Maybe. Sure. I don't know if I can directly give someone channel points. I don't even know what channel points are, but you, you can have them. You know what channel points are, dude. No, uh, I don't. I, I know they have something to do with Twitch, but I, I don't know what they do. Oh, that's weird. I, I told you, I don't associate with Twitch chat. I show up on Twitch. I, <laughs> I look at the video. I blank out the chat and don't look at it. That's how I roll. And you just talk to yourself. Sure. That's, that's oh, Or you're talking about watching streams, not... Yeah, watching streams. Not streaming yourself. Yeah, yeah I, 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 haven't, I haven't streamed streaming quite yourself. some time now. No, I'll, I'll, ch I'll chat every now and then. Like, I kind of get in my zone sometimes and don't pay attention, but, uh, you know, I'll check in. Well, is is there anything that you're interested in for Pioneer? Anything, like, a direction that you think that people should be going in? Because I think Mono Green is the, the still the frustrating thing. Yeah. Re regardless of what nonsense Planeswalker you happen to be playing in your deck. So... I don't know. People, people are trying a bunch of different stuff, but then when it comes time for tournaments, it's like, oh crap, we actually we have to put down our nonsense and actually figure out a way to beat this thing. And what what is the way to beat it that you think that people are slacking on? I, I just think like red black is fun. Like I don't know that you're a overwhelming favorite uh, against mono green. Maybe you're even like a slight dog depending on builds. That's completely fine. But you're just like so diverse. You do so many things well. Obviously, Liliana is just another tool in your arsenal. Uh, less convinced that Shieldred is a tool in your arsenal <laughs> that you actually need to pick up. But, you know, in, in the right metagame, I could certainly see it being important. I don't think this is that metagame, but some people seem to agree. Uh, some people seem to disagree. That's fine. I would be playing red-black, or I would continue to play Lotus Field because nothing has really changed as far as that card goes. As far as that deck goes. It's you got some new fun. cards, though. Yeah, you can do interesting stuff. You can impulse if you want. Uh, what's the name of the... You, you told me about the worst expedition map. Inscribed Tablet, I think. Yeah, Inscribed Tablet. That's uh, one to cast, one to activate artifact, and you look at the top five cards and you get to put a land into your hand. If you don't, you draw a card, correct? More or less. Yeah, that's that's ballpark of what it does. That seems fine. I don't know if it's a game changer. I don't know that impulse is a game changer either, but it's nice to have options and... I still think you can play that deck if you want to. 
All right, you get to put on your game designer hat again. Hooray. Dominaria United has two cards that are sort of functionally filling the role of cards that have existed before, right? So the tablet is pretty similar to Traveler's Amulet. Yeah, much, much better, but yeah. Well, we'll get to that. And then uh, Gate Gate Creeper Vine, like 1G, 2 Defender. Uh, that one got a basic or a gate. The one yep. in Dominaria now looks at the top six and you get a land and then you put them on the bottom. Yeah, so, so Gatekeeper Vine just searched, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. And Traveler's Amulet also searched, but for yep. a basic. Yep. And so both of these are like, hey, shuffling sucks. Let's basically do a thing that is like kind of searching, but not. That doesn't involve you having to shuffle after. Yep. And then they give you like such a big number that they expect you to hit. And then in the case of the Traveler's Amulet, like if you brick, well, you know, at least you get to still draw a card and yeah, emergency out. And and maybe maybe you just wanted to draw a card anyway, right? Yep. So how how do you feel about those as designs? Because I think for for digital, you probably just prefer the gate creeper thing, right? Or the traveler's amulet because the shuffling yeah. is sort of a non-issue. But for yeah. for real life, obviously, it's it's a big deal, especially when. It's not the only shuffle effect in the format, right? If you're no, and I, I think what they've done, like you said, has made the number large enough where it's very functionally similar. Like f- playing these cards on on arena is going to feel mostly the same as if they shuffled. You won't really notice all that much, with the exception of like doing weird one-off stuff or finding very specific cards. And the cost of shuffling is so so high, so high. I'm so careful whenever we are flirting with shuffling spaces and I'm uh, usually strongly against them. And, you know, shuffling solves a lot of problems. It makes things easy as far as game mechanics, things you're trying to achieve. Oftentimes, I think you're better suited finding a more complicated way to solve the problem and just getting the shuffle out of your game. Because it's a moment you're not playing the game and you want your players playing as much as possible. It breaks immersion. So I, I'm all for this. Very, very, very smart design. And I sort of think they've trended in the opposite direction recently. It's it's weird to show such such like pointed design towards minimizing shuffling in the real life space, and then do things in the real life space like crystalline giant that just like don't work really. Like they're just <laughs> problematic. So it's kind of a conflicting goal. But no, I am we definitely have, we have ability counters now. Surely yeah. people carry those around. Well, I don't think they do, but. Uh, it, it's a great goal. It's just a little incongruent with some of the other stuff they've done. But if that's them like learning a lesson, it's it's awesome. I'm all for it. Why don't they sell dice that just have like keywords on them? You know, know what I mean? Yeah, they should. Like Tarmogoyf really die. Yeah, there should be more spinners. Like more, not quite die, but you just like turn a dial and you get the different thing. And yeah, uh, I don't really, I don't really like those because. They were they were never like super accurate. It's like you hit it like a little too hard, and it's like, oh, were you at seventeen or eighteen? You know, like, yeah, but those are that's because they're like cheap. Like yeah, you can that, you can make fixable. a good version that's of that for sure. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, someone someone out there makes some Tarmogoyf die with like you know first strike, flying, death touch, trample. Yeah, or just don't play crystalline giant. I think that's a better approach to the problem. For limited, there are a lot of combat tricks that are just like maybe not in this set, but in the previous sets that are like put a lifelink counter on this thing or whatever. Yeah, I I hate that, but. Uh, it's good to see sort of a back. And you're right. I, I don't think there is a lot of that in this set. Like nothing stands out to me as, oh, this is a really stupid card to exist in real life. So maybe that's a, 
a trend. Maybe they're moving in a direction that's more about making paper play better. Yeah. Anyway, I bring this up because I saw uh, Josh miss on uh, Gate Creeper Vine, the new one. Oh, nice. It's like, oh, yeah, six cards. It's so many, right? And then it's like, oh, brick. Well, I really needed that land. I kept a, a two-lander with that thing. And I guess, yeah. I guess those cards are on the bottom now, so you are more likely Closer. to be drawing lands but you've made you've made progress i do like that part of it right like that's cool even if you fail and like failing on that card sucks don't get me wrong but you know you're closer at that point like you would have been infinitely more screwed in that scenario like where you just say you like went to you till you revealed the land and the top card was your second land and then you just had five more non-lands in a row and you never hit your third land drop it's infinitely worse so now maybe you can play out of it it is, but that that's also like all random, right? It, it is all random. Like your top six could random. be all lands and then you have six spells underneath that you can't cast. It'd be the same thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So my, my problem with this is that there are, there are situations like that where they, they make the number big enough so it's very unlikely that you miss. And then those two cards exist in the same set. And I, I guess I should check to make sure that they're actually different numbers. Uh, it's, I think it's six and five, right? That's that's what I think too. Yeah, yeah, it is six and five. So you know they they keep doing these things too, where you reveal different amounts of cards, which at yep. some point you know someone reveals six to a tablet because they just played a deck with three vines in it or whatever. You know. Yeah, we we talked about this just a few weeks ago with Storm the Festival. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and and then there's just a lot of words on the cards, like tablet in general. You know, the Traveler's Amulet was a common and very simple, very easy to grog and just search for basic and shuffle. Right. And then this is like, well, X cards, you can get this thing. If not do this instead, also put those things on the bottom and like, do you shuffle them or not? You know, it's, it's so many words to like fix this problem of like, Oh, you don't, we don't really want you shuffling anymore. Wordship has sailed. That one is we've been defeated. There's, there's no word economy anymore. I guess, and but it's still something you should be thinking about. Do you, do you think people like the wordiness of cards? Like some people like the wordiness of cards? I think when, say like 2005, when I'm very well enfranchised and sets are coming out and I already have this backlog of knowledge and I only have to learn a few things with each new set and I'm like constantly staying up to date and everything, I think it's fine. But when it, increases barrier to entry i think it is very very bad and maybe that ship is sailed too maybe it's just people aren't supposed to know every single magic card and when you get into magic you just have to get used to people explaining things to you for six to twelve months yeah the other thing is that your theory works where your game engine is your acquisition model like the way you get new players on board is by like having this simple easy to digest game that's I don't think that's the acquisition model anymore. There's there's two main acquisition models. One, Arena, and Commander. you're an iPhone game. Well, not even specifically Commander. I, I think it's the Worlds Beyond stuff. I think that's what they would point to as their mm -hmm. second acquisition model, especially as like we see these Warhammer previews. And like I think it's working. I'm seeing people who are like, I'm a Warhammer player. I know nothing about Magic, but now I'm going to get these. And I think like that's, those are the two acquisition paths they're leaning into way harder and since yeah. they are focused on that, they're less concerned with, oh, we have to present this simple, easy to grok game that it has this resonant flavor. The thing working. I will say about working. the universes beyond stuff is that still a lot of that is coming through commander and a lot of it 
is it involves you having a friend or someone who can Sherpa you through the whole process. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a, a big part of it. But at that point, I think that maybe they should lean into that and make it so that people are more prepared to like actually get their, their friends into it. It's just like, Hey, if you want to show someone how to play magic or how to teach someone how to play magic, like this, is this is, these are things that you can do, or this is how you should approach it or whatever. Right. Because I don't know. I think about maybe this was more relevant back in the day, but it still comes up today where it's like, Oh, how do you like, say you're dating, right? It's like, how do you tell someone that you spend every weekend traveling to magic tournaments or something? And for me, that was always very easy because I was very passionate about it and I wasn't embarrassed by it. And it's very easy for you to sell someone on something when you are passionate about it and you get to tell them why it's great. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think a lot of people come at it from the angle of like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, you're going to think that this is silly or stupid or whatever. Right. And then it, they are, are bad teachers because of it or bad promoters, I guess. Um, yeah. And I, I think that they could they could go a long way with teaching people how to be better at that sort of stuff. That's interesting. Interesting. Uh, shift like sort of your introductory content from you teaching the game. When I say you, I mean game company. Right. From from game company teaching the game to enabling people to teach the game better. Hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe that's maybe that's not a wizard's thing. You know, maybe that's something that like the command zone should put out if they haven't already. Where it's just like how, you know, say your friend is somewhat interested. You know, they, they would be willing to learn. They, they're just like, you know, give me your elevator pitch or whatever. It's like, what is the elevator pitch? you like, you can definitely see a world where someone's like, well, all these cards have lots of text on them. And then like, oh, they made this card and it's bullshit or whatever. And it's just like yes. that. This is not, this is not a good sales technique. Right. I, I think what you're describing is exactly why they are leaning into the arena sparky universes beyond approach to propagating the game and why it is showing success is because there is all these behaviors you're describing are things I've witnessed. I know exist. I know probably, you know, prevented the community from expanding as rapidly as it could have for years and years and years. And now they're like, well, we'll just do it this way. Let's go Warhammer people. Let's go Lord of the Rings people. I, I mean, what a time to make a Lord of the Rings set. And uh, like when it's very widely discussed and becoming part of the, you know, cultural discussion again, not that it has ever really faded out, but it seems like to be very front and center at this moment. Yep. And I, I think it's going to be a huge hit. I think they're going to get tons of new players playing their game and I'm going to hate it, <laughs> but that's fine. I like it's, it's honestly okay. Well, I, I, think, I, I think you have a perspective on this too, because you're kind of doing the same thing with flesh and blood. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's very different. I think one of the things that drew me to flesh and blood, it was how pure their vision of the game is like it is, it is always, 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 as, as long as the game is in James White's hands, it's always going to be about the game, making the best game, making the best play experience before anything else. I, I am sure of that. And that's one of the things that drew me not only to playing the game, but also working on it. And I, I do think like, None of this is to say that Wizards doesn't want to make a good game. They absolutely do, and they always will. Uh, but I, I do not think that it's the driving motivation behind the vast majority of decisions they make at this point. Yeah, I just mean as far as uh, recruiting new people or converting people or people are like, okay, well, my friend taught me how to play, but like, what does this game really have going for it? Oh, yeah. 
you know, yeah. and then, and then you have to be the salesman in that role. Right. Yep. And I, I do think about this stuff all the time. And I think we, we had a pretty big hole in our introductory products and we are, we're working on that. Like we, we recognize that and want them to be way better. And for us, it's going to be more about game and less about like finding the social tie-in to, to get you on board. It's going to be, you know, saying what's special about this gameplay experience and how, how important it is that you have control over your gameplay experience and also like the, the resonance of the flavor for me, that's like everything. It's just like so important that these cards are good representations of the things they're trying to embody. And now is a great chance for me to throw shade at Andrew Brown. Actually, I want to talk about this because he can't defend himself. <laughs> uh, and, uh, go ahead. Are, are, are we going to talk? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have like five minutes of modern at the end, just so you know. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to stick around for that, you can do that. But let me describe what I disagreed with Andrew Brown about today. So Andrew has been posting magic cards and he basically calls them disaster or masterpiece. He grabs a card randomly and he then declares a disaster or masterpiece. And that is, that is the extent of the analysis. So, you know, not super in-depth analysis, but today's card, he declared an unequivocal disaster. This card is Scarwood Hag. Do you know this card, Gerald? I I'd be surprised. I don't think so, I'd be but I'm, very I'm going surprised. to his Twitter now. Okay, one G one one. This is from the dark, so it is a summon Hag. G G G G tap. Target creature gains forest walk until end of turn. Tap. Target creature loses forest walk until end of turn. So this is a card Andrew declares a disaster. I would not call this card a masterpiece. I think it's very very far from a disaster. I think there's a story being told in the boundaries of this card. It's this, you know, very attuned to the earth hag who lives in the forest and has the ability, is so in tune with the forest, she has the ability through pulling all of these resources and gathering the mana of the forest to basically embodying the spirit of the forest into another creature. At the same time, she can also take that away from you. She can kind of make you an outcast of the forest and turn the forest against you. And all of this is indicated with just a very, very small amount of text and a very small amount of rules and a very small amount of flavor. You yeah. have the, the Scarwood nature of it. You have the fact that it's green very much in and of itself, primal tied to nature. You have the very, very large converted mana cost that is required to kind of bring in someone who is not in tune with nature to be part of it. And then you have the ability to just make an outcast of the forest and take away their forest work, forest walk. And I think that's a beautiful story told in very few words, just basically off the game mechanics. It's a horrible game piece. Like it has almost no use as a game piece, but these are the type of cards that drew me to magic. Like these were so, so important to me because they had that flavor resonance. So calling this card a disaster basically shows where like, I think he and I view these type of things very differently. Andrew is very like game piece focused and very uh, like, I, I think his flavor successes, he finds more in the like actual interaction of the card. Like if I play a fire Nova, does it encase the entire battlefield in fire? And like, sure. for me, it's more about, is there a story being told with like the very simple mechanics that are just the game rules engine. Like you don't have to go outside the game rules engine. you don't have to blow up the world and like represent that. You just use the pieces you're given and tell a really elegant story. So 
Andrew might have a very different take on it. I don't actually put him on blast. I, I obviously love Andrew. I respect everything he does for magic. And I also have enjoyed his masterpiece or disaster series. So you can go follow him at Merc underscore lurker. Um, but I, th- I thought this was a really good tie into what we were just talking about in terms of. Like- yeah, I think I think so, too. And I think I think that this is a good example of it where what you're saying is correct. Like This is a horrible game piece. Right. But this sort of card definitely does tell a story. And this is to me, someone who is not super tuned in to to these things. But, you know, you think about a setting like The Witcher or whatever. Right. Where it's like, you know, that that the forest is the the scarwood hags lair right like she she is dominating this forest you do not want to stumble onto her territory yeah right and it is a very eloquent clean way to tell that story without saying it directly you know and it's just like the the text on the card is pretty simple but yeah as far as like it being a magic card that you want to put in your decks no absolutely not but yeah and like a, a masterpiece would be a card that succeeds on both those levels it both puts that like element of flavor out there and also does it very cleanly, very simply, very resonant. But like you see not necessarily Scarwood Hag, but cards that are kind of similar to this show up in people's commander decks because their commander deck is trying to tell a story. Right. And then people get to be like, Oh, I've never seen this card before. Or like, you know, wow, this is like this, this really adds to the overall thing of what you're trying to do here, which is cool. Right. So even if these things are not a pluses or whatever, I think that someone at some point is going to put this in their deck for a reason. And then that is going, you know, it's going to be like a, the, the coffee table book or whatever, the conversation starter kind of thing. No, I mean, like, like I said, these were the cards that drew me to magic and like the big one that everyone talks about is like Shiv and Dragon, which obviously home run just did the thing very well. But Scarwood Hag is like, uh, this is a really hard statement to make. Scarwood Hag is in the same camp as Shivan Dragon in terms of like telling a story with very little text and very in tune with what the card is supposed to be. Yeah, now I'm looking at his Twitter feed and the cards that he calls masterpieces or disaster. More Crit Banshee, absolute disaster. Yeah, don't love that one. That's the morbid minus four, minus four, right? Yeah, yeah three BB, four, four. Morbid. So when the CTBs of a creature died this turn, target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. <laughs> Just like you're like, oh, flame tongue god, this is gonna be so good and limited, right? And then you actually like play the games, and it's just so like sorcery speed morbid never thing. works. Yeah, yep. it just never, never works. works. Not only does it never work, it has nothing to do with being like a banshee whatsoever. So yeah, that's definitely true. There are there are a lot of banshees in in Magic that I think are way more resonant than than this thing. Yep. Um, yep. I, I don't know if it was like, all right, we have the text of this card and we have some some banshee art or whatever. So like, let's let's just go. Let's just do it. I should I should note too that I also feel bad for Magic because they've made so many cards at this point that it's almost impossible to succeed. Like, there's a reason yeah. why Scarwood Hag comes from the dark, and like m- making resonant flesh and blood cards is way easier because our card pool is just infinitely smaller. So yeah. their job is way harder. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front as far as that goes. Yeah, y'all have, what, 2,000 cards and Magic has 100,000 or something? Yeah, it's just not even comparable. Uh, Andrew Brown says, Today's card is a slam dunk masterpiece. Proceeds to post a picture of Zulaport Cutthroat. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like Zulaport Cutthroat, but this is the problem when you use only <laughs> Masterpiece and Disaster as your as your ranking metric. As I certainly would not have that as a Masterpiece, but I don't think it's a Disaster either. Well, it 
it it generates engagement the way that he is doing it. So I think that that's, Correct. I think yeah, that yeah. that's very smart. Yep. But again, like Zulapur Cutthroat, I think if this were a, a card that existed by itself and there were not also like other blood artist type of things where it's mm. like some of them don't trigger off themselves. Some of them trigger off your opponent's stuff, like et cetera, yep. et cetera. Uh, some of them only do half, like it'll make your opponent lose one, but you don't gain one or whatever. Like when you get into that territory, it's pretty annoying. And I, I also don't like the constant tracking and, and life loss. And I don't like the fact that a lot of these cards just don't have a gate on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The pre gate era for sure. And it's like a, an ally in a set where the allies weren't really doing dies stuff. So it was just nope. an ally for, for funsies. Yeah. It's basically like a pump card actually you use it to make the rest of your allies bigger and then maybe get a little bonus out of it. Right. And then this was a, a constructed card, which then they had to fill like an ally quota or something. So this thing got mm-hmm. ally on it. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun. It's interesting. It is interesting. Started doing this uh, six days ago. Keep it up, Andrew. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, I guess he's just pulling random cards from from Scryfall. That is my belief. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Anything else about game design? No, you, you may have your five minutes of modern now. Okay. I see the floor. Modern. Uh, there was a solid month, month and a half, where I had uh, won an RCQ with Omnath, with Risen Reef, and I continued to think it was the best thing, and that has changed dramatically. So new RCQ season starts October 1st. I'm sure that there are some folks out there who have some very – uh, late stage RCQs that are maybe still happening, but I, I would probably not play that deck anymore. And I'm okay. kind of looking forward to the new season, um, both because mine was cut very, very short. I got to play in one tournament and would kind of like to play more, but uh, also I, it means I get to try new things, which is going to be fun and exciting because when, you know, you, you just kind of like, break it off the bat and then it stays that way. And then people are asking you for like updates and stuff. You're just like, no, it's, it's the same. Just, just play the same deck. Right. Like that's, that's not super fun or exciting. And I, I just kind of like check out. And I also want to be able to like give new information to people and like be constantly learning stuff. But the problem as I see it is that in addition to there being a new set and things being like a little bit uh, destabilized is that there are things like the underworld breach is it deck that are both just very good in a vacuum, but also very good against four color in general, and certainly very good against the risen reef side of things where they are kind of doing the Merc tide stuff, but don't particularly care about the cards that you had for Merc tide, which were like your veil of summers and Supreme verdicts and stuff. And then even if you are doing pretty well, like you have stabilized, you're at a high life total, you have drawn some cards or whatever, they can still just combo kill you. So you're you're coming at that matchup from a very large deficit and need to either make dramatic changes to your deck to fix it or just play something else. And one of the reasons that I lean towards playing something else is that they're also the Indomitable Creativity decks that are kind of showing up and are also quite good against you. So I think the format has shifted to a place now Sort of incidentally, I guess, where, you know, people just found some decks that they like and they got more popular because people were winning with them and it just happened to be good against four color. Although I'm sure the the breach deck was being played because it was good against four color. So, yeah, 
that uh, means that I am going to put my risen reefs away. I am I'm good on those for a little bit. I don't know what I think the best answer to that sort of metagame is, but I'm going to figure it out. I need your help right hit, now. Hit me. It's so weird, like checking in on a modern tournament and not being super plugged into like the modern idea shapers and you know where wherever that is coming from. It used to be like I I read my articles every week and that told me where the discussion was headed and kept me up to date. That doesn't exist anymore. I obviously do not follow the right people on Twitter to understand the modern format. How does something like this red black deck, which took first and second in a 75 card mirror on the first modern challenge and also put a third copy in the top eight, how does that exact 75 show up like this dominate? And then the next day it's gone. There's, there's none of it the next day. <laughs> okay. Like it just doesn't exist. So, so to start, this is the, the grief fury, like undying evil, yes. red black pitch deck, uh, which, yes. which is also pretty good against four color, I think. And why everyone played it in that challenge. I, I don't know who it came from. I'm sure that, you know, someone was streaming or posted a list or whatever it disseminated somehow. Right. And the thing that I have experienced playing in the challenges is that it's generally a different group of folks playing on Saturday than who play on Sunday. Okay. That's interesting, but it makes sense. Part, part of the reason for that is that the Sunday one starts like three hours earlier or something. Yep. And Um, like time differences around the world, I think probably also have a lot to do with it. And you know, if you're a day forward or a day behind, maybe you're just not free those day of the week. So yeah, I mean, that that's that's what I was getting at is the fact that yeah. it, it starts like three hours earlier meant that I, I think it was like 6 a.m. on Sunday if I wanted to play on the Sunday challenge for me, okay. which is is doable if I really wanted to work for it. But a lot of the time it's just like, nah, I'm just not gonna. I, I get that big, big, just not gonna vibes. I'm with that. It's just so pointed in this instance of like, the exact same 75 and just a fairly dominant performance. And then it's just gone. I mean, part of the problem too, is that you play in the one on Saturday and then maybe, you know what happened and who won or whatever, but you might not because it's not like the deck list get posted immediately. There are some people on Twitter you can follow to get like the immediate results, or you can be watching someone stream uh, especially if it's like canister and a C for in the top eight or something. So you get a better picture of right, what's right. going on in, in the format in the top eight, but also just a lot of the time people are like, oh, I'll run back my same deck, you know, and maybe the person who won the Saturday challenge with red black is, you know, not then going to get up in four hours and play in the next challenge. Maybe true. And it is interesting to see like what did well in the next day's challenge. Uh, it was won by Merc Tide, which you know, I think that deck is very capable of winning any tournament. It doesn't really matter what is going on around it. But then you go to the rest of the top eight and you see Scape Shift, uh, Indomitable Creativity, Indomitable Creativity, Scape Shift. So, like, things shift really hard to this combo-focused approach. And then the next deck is Living End. So, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Red Black doesn't want to play into that unless things have changed pretty dramatically. So, uh, uh, yeah. It, it might not be that bad, right? Because you have, you have like, the griefs to disrupt them. Sometimes Blood Moon can get them. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's more acceptable than it used to be anyway. I, I'll give you that. But it does seem like things turn pretty hard against <laughs> just like mid-range 
completely uh, calling aimed at completely fair at this point is always questionable when most of your spells are free, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. Fair, fair adjacent, but has busted yeah. moments. Scapeshift is uh, the more recent addition to the format within the, the last couple weeks and is a metagame thing. I don't think that it's necessarily going to have a lot of staying power, but that's, that's kind of like a, a nightmare for four color also. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the rest of the top eight had like a hammer deck, which isn't great if you don't have a ton of stuff for it. There's Eldrazi Tron and Eighth, which can certainly beat the crap out of you. So the format in general is just very hostile towards four color. Makes sense. Uh, other than, other than that, though, I mean that's that's mostly how I'm like looking at the format and approaching it, or have been at least. Was you know what changes do I want to make to my four color deck or whatever, and the the place that I'm at now is just, all right, we're, we're subtracting 95 cards. We're, we're starting yeah. from zero, right? Sometimes you got to put them away and it's uh, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Right. And it's time, it's time to fold the risen reefs. Yep. And we'll figure out where to go from there. Word. Well, I look forward to hearing about where you go from there. I don't know what my personal modern RCQ schedule looks like. Hopefully I find some cool events to play that are close to my home. Easy to get to. Cheap. I'll take cheap. That's I always like that. It's nice to you know get a nice little discount. Maybe not pay a hundred dollars for my qualifier as they're doing out in Canada for for their their version of our Dream Hack tournament is going to be a hundred dollars. Yeah, even though they've already qualified, which is freaking wild. But and it, so at least the the Atlanta one is is like the thirty k or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The prizes are way less for this one. Yeah. So. It's it's all pretty suspect. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't like I, I think it is fine, but I don't think it's fine to run things for 25 years in one way and then suddenly charge people $100 without giving them some notice or at least being like, this is this is why this exists, because the stores already have to pay to be able yep. to run the RCQs, which is yep. bullshit. It's all bullshit. The whole system is bullshit, actually. And I, I do agree that like some notice, because the whole thing is bullshit, some notice basically solves my problem. Just don't at hide least it. You know, you know what bullshit you're signing up for, right? Like We know this is bullshit. That's fine. We've chosen to do it anyway for some reason. We're just, I don't know. Honestly, like the best thing that could happen is everyone just like disengage from the system and like make them change it if they actually want to do it. Agreed. But that's never going to happen. So we've all decided we will sign up for this bullshit. And basically the only thing we ask is that you tell us the bullshit up front. And they failed at even that basic requirement here. So when you obfuscate the truth, uh, just by hiding things, telling lies of omission, lying outright, whatever way that erodes trust straight yep. up hundred percent every single time. So if there is a thing, we're already in a low trust environment too. By the way, exactly I just want to put that out there. Yeah, because it has been years of doing this, right? Yeah, we would ha we would have these meetings at Pro Tours, like you know the the platinum players with like Scott Larrabee and whatever uh, scapegoat they they had hired to run their esports division <laughs> for six months at that point, and we would have these discussions where we thought that it was on the level, you know, like they're being truthful with us. We're being truthful with them. They're saying things like, Oh, like that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, two months later, it's like, Oh yeah, well we had this vital piece of information that we didn't tell you, even though it didn't like affect anything um, on our end. Like it wouldn't have hurt us to tell you, but it definitely affected the information that you gave to us and how you tried to, 
you know, argue for things or solve problems. It was just like, we didn't even have to have this conversation because we were trying to solve for a thing that just didn't matter because you had this piece of information you didn't share with us. And then it was also part of like, oh yeah, we're listening. That's good feedback. We hear you. And then again, like two months later, they're just like, no, it's garbage feedback. Like it's, it's pointless to even listen to you. You're all stupid. You're all children or whatever. It's just like, yeah, that erodes trust. Shocker, right? Pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Uh, so if you if you have a thing where it's like, oh, they're going to charge a $100 entry fee, someone in, at some step of that process should be like, I don't think players are going to like that. I think that they're going to feel blindsided by that. And I think that that is going to erode some trust. Maybe we should address that. Trust is everything. Treat your players like smart adults. And I, I think you'll always win. Well, they do that now with... Uh, the cards having three sides and a lot of paragraphs, right? So <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe half the org has gotten the message. The other half hasn't, right? They're willing to treat us like the smartest people on the planet, uh, on the design side. And then the OP side is like, screw these idiots. They'll figure it out. Uh, game. Game. Good luck.